The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. It's a beautiful day to be together in worship, isn't it? We've officially entered the Christmas season. We've lit the candle. We've uh, expressed that today is the Advent day of hope that we're going to talk about what we, it means to have hope in Jesus. And there's really no better time in the history of our lives that this world has needed hope like it needs right now. Lots going on. I, I wore my tie today. Uh, it's, it's in honor of the fact that I own it. Somebody gave it to me, and uh, in light of not wanting to throw things away, I've kept this tie for about 40 years now. Uh, I guess it's been about 40 years, and uh, it still has a stain from 1986 right here. <laughs> this tie is uh, the abominable snowman for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, do you remember that snowman? We watched that show for the first time uh, yesterday with Lily and... Uh, as we were watching this group of shows, there's these about, uh, there's, there's endless number, but there's about five big ones that people watch, and uh, they all come from the 70s, and there's, uh, you can throw the Grinch in there later, a later version of it, and there's these cartoons that are meant to celebrate Christmas, to uh, help you enjoy the season, to entertain kids, but they have nothing really to do with Jesus, do they? Not much. There's not much. I think um, there's a Santa Claus one where Santa Claus sort of acknowledges the fact that there's a Savior in the middle of that. Just one little brief sentence. But then every one of them, they weave these messages of uh, moral messages or, or hope messages into these cartoons. Now, that, those are those from the 70s. So in the 70s, we saw this great... Um, uh, I guess, watering down of Christmas that happened. Before that, before uh, TV became uh, in color and such a big deal, uh, Christmas was a little more pure. Not completely, but a little more pure. But in that period, you had this explosion of this diffusion of what Christmas was all about. Now, I tried to find the hope in this cartoon today and yesterday, as I was uh, watching it, and th- the only thing I could find is is that Rudolph is forgiven for his deformity at some point uh, because he saved the day with his red nose. Because that's one thing. Uh, people begin to tolerate him for his differences, and then Hermie, the dentist, is embraced, even though he, he wanted should have been a, an elf. He really wanted to be a dentist. You remember that? You've seen this cartoon. And then this abominable snowman is threatening all of Christmas. And uh, in the midst of all that, uh, Cornelius, the, the, the Yukon miner, I, I'm not sure what this is all about. He comes in. How he got into Christmas is amazing. But he comes in and he helps save the day and uh, conquers this snowman that is going to kill all of Rudolph's family and his uh, newly found girlfriend. So um, this is, I'm just going to say this is the devil. How about that? The abominable snowman is the devil. He is conquered, and there is hope that is expressed in that cartoon. That's stretching it, isn't it? I tried to stretch it the best I could. 
You know, there's nothing new about um, people, about Christianity, and about Judaism, for the, the culture to, for the church, to the, for the God's people to water down their worship and water down their commitment uh, to, to in, embrace all kinds of things of sinful, secular culture in their lives. Let's look at history just for a brief, I want to go over the history of the Bible in just a few minutes. In Genesis, you had uh, the creation of the world, the creation of man, and then um, man, man living in the, the garden, and then suddenly they fall because of sin and rebellion. They chose to, uh, to not obey God, and they fell. And then we have all the things that happened after that with the flood and, and uh, the punishment of, of the people on earth. Then we go into Exodus, and the people of God are being are being punished for their behavior, for the rejection of of their uh, of the Lord for who He is, and uh, but God delivers them and brings them out of their captivity. And in the middle of being delivered out of the the terrible situation they are in, they're still grumbling. Do you remember that from Exodus? It, this great miracles happening everywhere. And they're just not quite satisfied. Then Leviticus, the law is given to, to help them, to, to really to protect them, to take care of them, to help them live in line with the Lord. And they can't keep it. They can't keep the simple rules of God. Genesis, Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, throughout the Old Testament, you see that cycle of God blessing his people with uh, taking care of them with with miracles with rules that help them to, to live better lives to uh for them to know him better and they just reject it over and over and then he sends the judges the judges uh, deliver them and after every judge they live for just a short while and then before you know it uh they're celebrating something else other than the lord and they need it they're wanting a king the cycle continues throughout the Old Testament. Then you had the prophets that come along that proclaim that this is not the way to live. It's not the kind of people that God created you to be. That you need to have hope in the Lord and trust Him. And what do they do? They kill the prophets. They stone the prophets. They alienate them. They re- reject them. And in Malachi, well, this is this this is a pretty sad story, isn't it? It's easy. If you look at the Old Testament, to get caught up in the fact that the people of God never get it right. They never get it right aligning themselves with the person and purposes of God. Then you get to Malachi chapter 1 verse 10. I want us to look at Malachi 1.10. We'll go back to 9 I want to, to, to lead us into it. He says, now plead with God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. So he's saying these offerings are these offerings worthy of the Lord. And then verse 10, he says this, that we need to hear. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. And here, the doors are shut. He's saying that your your worship, your actions, your heart, your mind is so far away from me that you're wasting firewood 
building these all these uh, altars for sacrifice. You're wasting our time, you're wasting all of your efforts because your heart means nothing. And then we get a long period of silence from the Lord, from the prophets, four hundred years. We enter to the period the period of four hundred years of silence from God. He did not speak to a prophet through a prophet to his people. <laughs> That's one hundred and forty six thousand silent nights. Now we know what happens uh, in the future. We know that Jesus is coming. And Isaiah spoke to this, Isaiah fifty three two. He says he's like a shoot, he's like a root that is coming up out of dry ground. And this dry ground is the people of Israel. They have dry hearts for the Lord. 2 Samuel 7, 15 and 16 say this, But my love will never be taken away from him, from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. He's given hope in the Old Testament. He's given hope for the future of his people. These people will live for these 400 years that are to come from Malachi to the New Testament with the hope that the Messiah will come. Now in this period of time, when uh, they were waiting for the Messiah to come, dozens, possibly hundreds of false messiahs would appear. These messiahs would come and be in... uh, present themselves as the political leader that's going to deliver them from whoever may be in charge at the time, and they would fail. (laughs) They uh, would come to deliver them from whatever spiritual oppression they may be experiencing, but then they would fail because they weren't the true true Messiah. Jeremiah 23.5 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Prophecy about the coming Savior. We know Isaiah, Isaiah may be the best book of the Bible to preach about uh, Christmas from. So many words of promise about the coming Messiah. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom in establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. They were sitting, they were resting for those 400 years on promises from God that were clear, the Messiah is coming. But a dark night sometimes makes it difficult to see the day that's coming. I have, um, you may have a similar situation where the houses we live in now are so well lit compared to the houses 30 to 40 to 50 years ago. Uh, Underneath the countertop, I didn't know this existed until a few years back, that you could actually have lights under the countertop in the kitchen. And that you, they, you turn the lights on in the room and suddenly the countertop lights up. And by the way, the older you get, the more light you need to see and read. So the light opens and you have the, everything is clear. 
there was a time that a house that I lived in when I was a child that uh, there was one particular room that you had to feel your way around the room to find the string that was hanging from the ceiling that was tied to a uh, fixture that had been screwed into another fixture and you pull it down and the light suddenly appears. Anybody ever had that experience? For sure you've had it in a closet. There was a closet with a light like that. And many days we would walk into this room and our hands would be waving in the air. We knew what what general direction from the door. Okay, you walk in the door, it's on the far left of the room, so you just kind of veer right about 10 degrees and make your way. And you go to get there eventually, waving your hands, and suddenly you grasp hold of that string and pull down, and the light comes on, and suddenly everything is seen. Now, sometimes that causes uh, a cat or, or something in the room to scamper out. But you turn the light on, and it's all visible. Isn't it disappointing when you pull the light switch, pull the, pull the string, and no light comes on, the bulbs burn out? Or maybe it flickers for a minute. You think, oh, maybe it'll come on, maybe it'll come on, and then it burns out. That's the people of Israel. They were grasping, grasping for the light, looking for it in all kinds of ways other than the Lord. Darkness ensued upon Israel. But in that 400 years, in that time of silent nights, God was at work. Now there are days in your life you may have uh, such darkness happening all around you where it seems that your family is melting down, that there's troubles in the marriage, there's troubles with a kid, maybe there are financial problems. Uh, I spoke to a man yesterday that told me he was in such a good mood. I don't know, it was Friday. He was in such a good mood. I don't know how he was in the mood he was, but he had found out Monday that his business was closing down and he wouldn't have a job January 1st. Still had lots of happiness and hope because he trusted Jesus for his future. But those things happen in our lives. Things cause us to be in dark nights, silent nights, where we need to hear from the Lord. But we know we had the promise that God is at work in the darkness. He's at work when we don't see. We could trust him. Just like all these passages from the Old Testament that the people of Israel had, and I could have preached for five days through the Old Testament all the promises of the coming Savior, of the Messiah, and we would not have exhausted Scripture. They had it there for them. They had hope for the future. (coughs) We have that plus more. But in that time, God was at work, and these are some of the things he was doing. You know that the Persians Persians ruled uh, the earth at the time of Malachi. And there were several things happening in in the nation of Israel other than Persia ruling the world. But... Uh, We had Cyrus the Great that ruled over half of the settled, uh, civilized world at the time. Complete control. They were an arrogant uh, culture. They were uh, brutal to the people that they conquered. They were brutal to each other. They were brutal to anyone that threatened the throne. They were evil people in control of the world. And while that was happening, things, this was... This 400 years, just think back to the times the very first people discovered America to today. That's the period of time we're talking about. Long 
long advancements in culture. Things were, were developing. In, in this time, roads developed. Uh, a, an interstate-type system developed. Language evolved. Finances changed. Buildings were built. The culture was advancing in this time of evil control over the world. And Cyrus, in the, on his uh, grave, there are um, inscriptions that state to his, his uh, disappointment that the earth would be covering him that he owned. He owned it all in his mind. Then after Cyrus came, Alexander the Great. Alex, Alexander the Great conquered so much more than Cyrus that Cyrus paled in comparison to the leadership and to the, uh, to the aggression and to the control that Alexander had. Alexander the Great, um, he, he captured, I believe it was something like 186,000 miles of marching in a 13-year period with his, with his army to conquer that known world. And he doubled the size of Cyrus's uh, domain and controlled that. But he died young uh, in darkness. He, he died as, uh, because, probably because of the sinful behavior of his life, he died in a very murky, dark death at 32 years old. And they asked him before he died, what would he want to do with his his kingdom, how he wanted to be, uh, who he wanted the secession to go to. And he told them he wanted it to go to these four rulers. And the four rulers were over regions of the world at the time. So the kingdom was divided into four, and uh, of, those, of those four regions, one of them was Italy, the Italy area. And out of that came Rome. And we know that out of Rome came the Caesars. And out of the Caesars came great domination through the Roman Empire. And this domination of the Roman Empire was different than Alexander the Great because Alexander was moving so quickly, he would go to, from one city to one little kingdom. Every little city was a kingdom, like their own small country. Manny would be a, would be a kingdom, and there would be a king over this, and there would be this hierarchy of rule over that particular that particular city, and when Alexander came in, he would kill off the leaders, those in charge, and he would uh, basically leave it in chaos and move on because he was moving too fast to conquer too many things. And he would go to the next city, to the next city, to the next city, and he had this great big uh, culture, great big uh, empire that was really in chaos. And under those four leaders, they'd begin to develop systems. Rome rose above the other three, and as Rome rose above the other three, they did. They would move into a city and conquer it, and they would bring along all of their leaders, leaders and put in place. Move slower, more methodical, more political, more organized. So this is where you get um, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, Herods, all of those leaders of the day um, that you see in the New Testament were placed in place by the Romans over that particular culture to control that city. Now that organization was something that was happening in history that God was doing for the gospel to come at the right time politically. So historically, Jesus, Jesus could have came 
in Malachi 4. The Lord could have, could have brought him right in in that period. And we would have ne- they would have never experienced the things that they experienced in the way that they experienced them with the Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire came in, developed roads, they developed um, a, uh, a peace, a, a sense of peace going on where everything was more in control instead of little fiefdoms and battles all over the civilized world. So we had peace from that military control, we had roads being built, and then we had the Greek language becoming pervasive in the culture so that there was a common language that was much more descriptive and clearer and uh, more in-depth, intricate, to be able to explain all the things that you see in the New Testament. We had this well-developed language that is coming into place. So God came along, he did what he did in his 400 years of silence. He was doing things historically. The second things he was doing was things in Jewish history. In the middle of the Jewish culture, we had, we had these secular Jews that were being developed, Hellenistic Jews. They were more Greek than they were Jewish, and they lived this life of compromise, really. They were Jewish by, um, by, uh, blood, not by actions, not by religion, they were developing. And as they developed, there was um, the Hasidic Jews, which would be the conservatives of the day, the most, we have Hasidic Jews today, they are uh, the most um, connected, the most committed to the law. And then the wars broke out, the Maccabean Wars was the wars between the Jews. This is all happening during this 400 years. And as those wars broke out, they were basically these factions of Jews that would uh, would uh, battle with each other within this over-reigning Roman Empire that was over on top of them. The Hasidic Jews were hard to control. They were uh, very committed to the Lord in the way that they knew to be committed to the Lord. They basically ushered in these Maccabean Wars by refusing, one priest, refusing to sacrifice a pig on the altar of the temple. So these wars happened, Jews were dispersed, and in that dispersion you had them in the mountains, in cities, on the countryside, in smaller groups, and these smaller groups began to distance themselves from the temple and temple worship, and a synagogue was developed. And the synagogue would be a small group of Jewish people gathering together, it'd be ten, at least ten, ten groups, ten would gather together and they would study the word and they would worship and they would uh, provide a more dispersed religious life. Now, can you see how that really is modeling the growth of the church in the future? So you have the synagogue was, was being developed to model what was going to happen in the New Testament church. God was working in history. He was doing some things. He dispersed the Jews to accomplish his purpose for the coming of the Messiah. And in that dispersion, no one Messiah could accomplish what they wanted them to accomplish. But along came the unexpected, misunderstood baby Jesus to to deliver them. So we have that Jewish history is upset, is, is... being changed. And then we had the time is right. The time was right. In God's time, 
Is God's time better than our time? Doesn't feel like it in the moment, does it? Uh, Most of the time, my understanding is God's time is right now when I want it. When I'm in the flesh, when I'm thinking about the moment and maybe not being completely uh, full of faith but full of fear, I want it right now. But God's time is much bigger. It's much broader. It's eternal. He sees what you're facing and what you're going through from a large eternalist perspective. And in God's time, Jesus came. When the world was most ready to hear, when the gospel could be spread, when the synagogues had been established, when the language was clearer, when the Romans were beginning to weaken. All these things were were happening in God's time. And then God speaks. God speaks after these 400 years. And so much could happen in the book of Luke. I almost turned to the book of Luke. you wanted a Christmas sermon every day from now until the end of the year, you can find it in the book of Luke. It's full. And Luke introduces the coming Messiah in a very um, well-educated, established... I, I, I listened to one man parse verses 1 through 3 and, his, and the prowess of, of Luke's Greek... For an hour, one time, the the Greek is so well, it's so advanced, it's so clear, it's so articulate. He's saying that. Um, I'll, I'll, let me just read it to you. Many, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. That's everything in history. What God's plans, all that He is that I have been preaching about for the last twenty minutes, is being fulfilled right in front of them. It's happening among them. Just as they were handed down uh, to us by those who were the first, were were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. They're gathering together. The stories of Jesus is happening, and and Luke is telling it. With this in mind, since I, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you. So here, Luke is laying out this chronological, orderly account of what happened in the New Testament, of what happened in the life of Jesus. And he's writing to Theophilus, and you know that from the book of Acts. That's the person that he is, the official that he is writing to. <laughs> so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So Luke is writing to us, writing to the New Testament uh, people, saying to them, you can be for certain this is what happened. I'm giving you clarity, clarity on the story of Jesus and the coming Messiah. Let's go to verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. 
Let's get back to the, the cartoon tie for a second. I told you about the worst cartoon. I feel like this is probably the worst spiritually. Um, maybe the Santa Claus is coming to town might be worse. I don't know. So this this is one that's kind of a big diversion of the re- the reason of Christmas. But then you get one that's really good, uh, kind of obscure, about a donkey named Nestor. Okay. Now this donkey talks, so it's not quite something you can trust. It's it's, it's biblical. But they tell the story of Jesus. But my favorite is my next week tie, if I can find it in, in the, uh, in the uh, big drawer of ties that I have. It's Charlie ba- Brown's Christmas. And on Charlie Brown's Christmas, you've got all this uh, going on, and the entire purpose is to draw all of those kids into focus that it's not about a tree, it's about the Savior. And Linus gets up and he gives the great speech. And these are the words he's reading. He's saying that there's a Savior born and there's hope. Suddenly the whole cartoon is filled up with hope. And it ends on, on the, the positive note and the understanding of, of the gospel. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the dark night. Don't be afraid of the silent 400 years. The Messiah is coming. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. This candle right here, this candle of hope, that candle of hope is about the hope we find in Jesus that will reign and will never end. There's not going to be an Alexander the Great coming in conference. Jesus. There's not going to be a president that will ever conquer Jesus. There's not going to be a media that ever conquers Jesus. There's not going to be an education system against uh, Christianity that will conquer Jesus. There's not going to be a uh, gross, grotesque, immoral culture on social media that ever conquers Jesus because he will reign forever. And Mary... You're about to see that happen. Hope is coming. And right there, the silence ends. That silent night is over. And it becomes a different silent night to us, doesn't it? You know, we experience silent nights when we're alone. We experience silent nights when we're hurt. When we're fearful, when we're confused, those that are lost are experiencing silent nights. But let's read this, this thing through this, this hymn that we sing every year. Silent night, holy night, all is calm and all is bright. 
Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace, silent night, holy night. People that don't even know Jesus love this song when it's sang. We know that we have peace in the silent nights, that they're not full of fear anymore, they're full of hope because of Jesus. Here's the last part of this. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born, silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from your holy face with dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at your birth. Jesus, Lord, at your birth. God spoke and ended the silence. And we have hope. Let's pray. Father, there may be people, I know there are people that are listening on the radio and that are watching on Facebook that may be in this room. There are people right now that are having a dark night of their soul. And they don't know if God is hearing their prayers and and they're desperate and they're hungry and they're broken. And Father, I pray that right now that they reach for that light in Jesus and find him. Or that suddenly they see Jesus. And all their fears are dispelled and all their hope rises up in him. Father, those that are lost, and I pray that those that are lost, that don't know you, that are far from you, would find you. And that Christmas not just be one more busy season of where we spend all of our money and gather together with every free moment and do things that are stressful and gather with people we don't like and, and all these things that happen that, that, that people that are hopeless find in this season, Father. And that is, I pray that that would be cast away from them and they would find nothing but peace and hope in Jesus. That every twinkling light on every house would remind them of the hope they have in the Lord. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.